There are about eight or ten questions on prayer in our catechism, and I, I just particularly like this section, as I have mentioned to you. I believe there's a lot of sound, sane, sensible stuff here that can help our prayer lives. So, question 106. What is prayer which is acceptable to God? Now, a lot of catechisms ask the question, what is prayer? And they answer it as if the person, that everyone is thinking about it and involved in the question is a Christian. And that's a mistake, of course. And something that um, Baptist and Congregational, Independent, and and other churches uh, often do a little bit better on is recognizing that when we ask questions like this, our spiritual standing before God makes a difference in what the answer is. So this is not what is prayer. This is what is prayer which is acceptable to God. And here's the answer. Acceptable prayer is an offering up of the desires of the righteous unto God for things agreeable to his will, in the name of Christ, by the help of the Spirit, with confession of sins, and thankful acknowledgement for his mercies. There are many of the questions in in this catechism that would be beneficial to memorize. I I personally like this one. This is in my top ten of memorize out of this uh, catechism because I think there is, again, a lot of just plain, sane, scriptural counsel here. I'm going to refer to Proverbs 15.8 probably more than once. So here's that verse. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord. So that form of worship is abominable to the true God. But the prayer of the upright is his delight. So question number one, whose prayers does God hear? And the short answer is, God favorably hears only the prayers of the righteous. That's biblical. That matches our catechism here. God favorably hears only the prayers of the righteous. That is, only theirs does he notice with approval or take heed to. Now, certainly God knows all things, including what everyone, whether righteous or wicked, says to him, speaks to him, says in prayer to him. In that sense, God hears everyone's prayers. When the unsaved call out to the everywhere present God, He knows what they say. In that barren sense, he hears their prayers. But he doesn't heed their prayers. He hears, we might say, but he's not listening. That would be one human way to say it, perhaps. Only to the righteous has he committed to not only hearing, but heeding, and and that means to answer their prayers. 1 John 5.15, and we know that he hears us. If we know this, we know that we have what we asked of him. Proverbs 15.8 that we just quoted. The prayer of the upright is God's delight. In that verse, 
the proverb, there is a similarity and there's a contrast. The similarity is that both the upright and the wicked bring religious worship to God. The contrast is in God's response to it. The wicked man's worship, God finds abominable. That's a big word for repulsive or vile or offensive. But the worship, specifically the prayers of the upright, those things are his delight. It pleases him. He approves of them. A similarly plain text is Proverbs 28.9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to the law, even his prayers are detestable. So notice that to God, the prayers of the lawless are detestable. This is very strong language. He isn't just, again, in human terms, just a bit unhappy. He's not just annoyed <laughs> with their calling on him. He loathes or despises their prayers. Again, in the simplest sense, we can say that he hears them. But what he hears is a cacophony. If we were to put it in smell language, which the Bible often does when it comes to prayers, you know, a sweet odor, a sacrifice, a, well, these would be a stench in his nostrils. They're not a sweet odor. The truth is that if a man turns a deaf ear to God's law, God will turn a deaf ear to him. It's really just that simple, all right? So whose prayers does God hear? God favorably hears only the prayers of the righteous. Now, given that answer, which I think is consummately biblical, very commonly a second question immediately follows. Well, then should the wicked, wicked pray? I mean, what's the point of unbelievers praying? Should the wicked pray? And the short answer is yes, they owe prayers to their creator. Prayer is a part of natural religion. Men are born with the knowledge that there is an eternal, all-powerful God to whom they owe worship. And so it is in them to pray. Now, sin, of course, warps their conception of God and it perverts the motives and methods of prayer. But men do naturally pray. And so they should because they owe God thanks for all they are and have. And he is the one they should call on for forgiveness, for mercy, for salvation. So yes, the wicked should pray. But you say, it, but it's a stench to God. Why should I aggravate God with my words? Because it's an even greater sin to not acknowledge God in prayer at all. This means if you're an unbeliever, the Bible says you are a wicked person. And the simple question we need to ask you is, in the day of trouble, when you need to cry for help, who will you cry to? Who will you pray to when trouble overcomes you or death approaches? There's only one God. There's only one who can hear your prayers. But you won't be listening, not in order to answer in a, in a good way. So this is a good reason to turn in repentance to God, because he always hears the sincere prayer of that. So should the wicked pray? Yes, they should. Are their prayers sinful and wicked? Yes, they are. 
But it's even worse not to pray because they owe this to God. All right. Question three, to whom should we direct our prayers? The short answer is to God alone. Psalm 65.2, O you who hear prayer, the psalmist says, to you all men will come. There's only one who hears prayer. That's the true God. All the examples of righteous prayers in the scriptures are made to the true God. Jesus only instructed us to pray to God our Father, not to other gods or persons or beings. Think of it this way. Prayer is a part of religious worship, whether private or public. And therefore, of course, as a part of worship, it belongs to God alone. Prayer is not to be made to other so-called gods, to angels, to supposed saints with extra righteousness in their accounts, or to dead relatives. Not even Mary or Elvis. None of those are suitable people to pray to. It is due to God alone. So to address prayer to any other is not to give God his right, and it's to indulge or engage in idolatry. Questions about any of these questions? Occasionally someone will say, does this mean that you can't talk to your dead relatives? Um, I have a first wife who's in heaven. Um, you know, should you talk to her? Well, I, I'm not sure that that's prayer, first of all, because I think for a real Christian, they know very well they're not really talking to the person. They're just, they're, say, they're thinking out loud, right? Um, highly doubtful that person can hear you. Even if they can, uh, they can't do anything about it. So while I don't think necessarily talking to every dead person is is wicked, um, we need to be very careful that it that it's not prayer that we're doing, that we're not making requests and entreating and thinking that they're in some position to to hear us and answer us. That belongs to God alone. Right. Question four. What is the heart of prayer? In essence, what is prayer? I love the answer that's given. It's offering up our inmost desires to God. Fisher, my favorite Scottish catechist, favorite catechist, period, says, Prayer does properly consist in petition or supplication. In other words, pleadings. <laughs> Psalm 62, 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him. Psalm 25, 1. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Here we see prayer at its heart. It's a holy earnestness of spirit flowing from a sense of need to God. Bunyan puts it this way, 
Prayer is a pouring out of the heart or soul to God. There is in prayer an unbosoming of a man's self, an opening of the heart to God, an affectionate pouring out of the soul in requests and sighs and groans. This is how the holy ones of old prayed. Think of Hannah in 1 Samuel 1, or David, or perhaps best, the Lord Jesus Christ, Hebrews 5, 7. Real prayer is honest. Real prayer doesn't pretend that we're actually informing God or he doesn't already know. But it's an honest opening up. And it's that kind of sincerity that God blesses and delights to hear. To speak like that is to show you really understand you have a need. And the one you're speaking to, he's the one who can answer your need, who can meet you. This is why often, especially with the older writers, they will say, Prayer is petition. Prayer is asking for things. And the modern person says, well, uh, yeah, yeah, but it's it's also thanks and it's this and it's that and the other. Y- yes, yes, in a sense. <laughs> but understand who you are. Even as a child of God, you are coming as a, as a needy little infant to an infinite father. And even praising him is in a sense, is at bottom, a request. May may I come with thanks? May I come with praise? Will you accept my... Because we don't just enter God's presence and speak however we want on the basis of our own goodness or worth or whatever. As Ecclesiastes says, you know, Put a hand over your mouth. Be careful what you speak. Specifically referring to prayer. And and so we, we are coming to make petitions of a king that he would receive not just our requests, but our requests for him to accept praise and other things. All right? Question five, what rules should limit what we offer up to God? Again, I really like the answer here. I think it puts it with a proper biblical balance. The the answer is, things agreeable to his will. We might say in more modern English, his revealed will. But actually, the older language is a little bit more accurate. It's a little bit broader. And it's, um, I, I think it just hits the mark just right. Things agreeable to his will. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Which will? His decree of all that will come to pass or his law, his revealed will. Well, of course, we're to ask according to what is righteous, according to what he wants to have occur in the world. We We can't, at least ordinarily, pray according to his decrees because they're almost completely unknown to us. 
They're God's business, Deuteronomy 29, 29. But his law and his promises, his law and gospel, in all of their bounty, are open to us for prayer. Some might say, well, this, this really tightly constrains my praying. That's, that's too narrow a rule to meet my needs and desires. But is this rule a, a harmful or burdensome constraint? God's word says no. Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Yet we're in no danger in prayer of out asking God or having concerns or requests that he did not provide revelation about. Well, may we ask for bodily needs and temporal wants? Yes, as far as their real needs and righteous and beneficial. Isaiah 33, 15 and 16. He who walks righteously, his bread will be supplied and water will not fail. There's a promise to be claimed from Psalm 34:10. Those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. But as we will learn in the weeks ahead, spiritual mercies should have the preference in our request. Matthew 6:33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Part of seeking the kingdom of God is prayer. God's law covers every area of creation. And so there is always something appropriate in his word to help guide us in prayer. It may be very, very specific at times. It may be very, very general at other times. But there is sufficient revelation from God about anything and everything in our life that we may know how to pray according to his will or in a way agreeable to his will. All right. Question six. In whose authority do we pray? Of course, the answer is Christ, our mediator. John chapters 14 to 16 is replete with examples of this point. John 14, 13 and 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the son may bring glory to the father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Chapter 15, verse 16, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Chapter 16, 23 and 24, I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, I'm, I'm very aware, and you need to be too, that these promises are fuller to the apostles then perhaps um, they are to us. But the principle is still the same. Whatever we ask according to the will of God, whatever we ask in the name of Christ is ours. That's whose authority we pray under or in. To pray in the name of Jesus Christ is to pray under his authority and through his mediation. We don't come directly or of ourselves to God. By ourselves, remember, God wouldn't hear us. But we come in the name of Christ, the only sufficient mediator between God and men. We come in his righteousness. We come washed by his blood. We come for his sake. We come 
pursuing his reign. Well, when we come like that, in other words, in the name of Jesus, God the Father hears us. Now, there's much more that can be said about this, and we'll, we'll do that in, in later weeks, but I hope that's helpful. Christ, our mediator, is the authority by which we pray. Yes, we're sons of God, but we don't come outside of the Son of God. Right? His sonship is direct and immediate. Ours is earned by another. We're, we're adopted as sons, not natural, right? Question seven, who helps us pray? Of course, the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 12.10 teaches us that we need the spirit of grace and supplication. That's the Holy Spirit. As Romans 8.26 says, we don't know what we ought to pray for. That's why the first part of the verse says, the spirit helps us in our weakness. That is our weakness in prayer. What does the Spirit do for us to help us pray? Here's what the larger catechism says by way of answer. By enabling us to understand both for whom and what and how prayer is to be made. The Spirit teaches us from the Word who to pray for. Kings, those in authority, pastors, the church, individual members of the church, all sorts of living men, even our enemies. The Spirit teaches us from the Word what to pray for each of these and how to do it with understanding, faith, sincerity, fervency, love, and perseverance. Finally, the Spirit intercedes for us when in pouring out our souls we can only groan. You know, often we feel so terribly inadequate in prayer, and we are, and that's all right. Because we have not only a mediator, we have a counselor, a spirit, a helper, an interceder who translates for us. He takes our weak or even mistaken desires and he turns them into acceptable language to God. Romans 8.27, the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And so we are heard because he corrects them and the Son washes them and presents them and so our prayers are pleasing to God and he hears them and answers them. Do our sins inhibit our prayers? Question eight. Yes. Yes, they do. So we must regularly make confession. Sins against God and men obstruct our prayers. This is a general principle found throughout Scripture. Psalm 66, 18. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, treat your wives with consideration and respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. James 4, 3. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. There's sin, right? Even confession, at least confession that's God-pleasing, is a petition. It can't be a mi mindless or rote 
religious exercise. We don't pray with our mouths the way some of our friends pray with their rosary beads. Just going through the motions, they look up and suddenly, oh, yeah, I did it. You know that feeling. You're headed somewhere in the car and suddenly you wake up and you're there. And you're not entirely sure how you got there. Prayer is not meant to be that way. Even our confession is a request that God would forgive us in Christ. And so we're agreeing with him about our sin and we're asking him according to his promise to forgive us our sins. And when we do this, he hears our prayers. Right. Last question, what should we do when God gives us our desires? When we recognize that he has said yes to our prayers. Now, many times he answers our prayers with a no or a wait. And those are good and we should be thankful for those. But when we have asked for something specific and God has seen fit, especially when it's quick, and at least in my own life, especially when it's something really small, like God doesn't need to do that. And he did. That shows his special care. Well, what should we do? How should we respond? The answer is thank him with hearts as full as our asking was. Did you ask for it five times or at great length or over years? Then don't make your thanksgiving, yeah, thanks, and bye, that's all. Don't be trite or too short or careless with it. Think of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2. She begged God for the desire of her heart to have a son. She did it for a long time. And when God granted it to her, she thanked God regularly for years. Um, we, need to, we need to watch lest we be guilty of, of being ungrateful and always just being worried about getting from God and, and never saying thank you. That's bad enough between human beings, human friends, but between us and God, um, we, we ought not to be that way. 